This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of Lisfranc injury, or tarsometatarsal fracture dislocation, from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. So a Lisfranc injury is a condition characterized by disruption between the articulation of the medial cuneiform and the base of the second metatarsal. The unifying factor in these injuries is disruption of the tarsometatarsal joint complex. Injuries can range from mild sprains to severe dislocations. They may take the form of purely ligamentous injuries or of fracture dislocations. And a ligamentous versus a bony injury pattern has treatment implications, which we will get into later on in the episode. As far as epidemiology, Lisfranc injuries account for only 0.2% of all fractures, so relatively rare. They are more common in the third decade of life, and they are more common in males. As far as mechanism and pathoanatomy, causes include motor vehicle accidents, falls from height, and athletic injuries. The mechanism is usually caused by indirect rotational forces and axial load through a hyperplantar flexed forefoot. So it's basically a hyperflexion slash compression slash abduction moment exerted on the forefoot and transmitted to the tarsometatarsal articulation. And the metatarsals typically displace in the dorsal slash lateral direction with these injuries. Associated conditions include proximal metatarsal fractures or tarsal fractures, and Lisfranc equivalent injuries can present in the form of contiguous proximal metatarsal fractures or tarsal fractures. As far as prognosis, missed injuries can result in progressive foot deformity, chronic pain, and dysfunction. Tarsometatarsal fracture dislocations are easily missed and diagnosis is critical. So now let's quickly review some relevant anatomy for these injuries. And as far as osteology, the Lisfranc joint complex consists of three articulations, including a tarsometatarsal articulation, an intermetatarsal articulation, and intertarsal articulations. As far as ligaments, the Lisfranc ligament is critical to stabilizing the second metatarsal and maintenance of the midfoot arch. It's basically an interosseous ligament that goes from the medial cuneiform to the base of the second metatarsal on the plantar surface. The Lisfranc ligament tightens with pronation and abduction of the forefoot. The plantar tarsometatarsal ligaments are also important to be aware of. Injury of the plantar ligament between the medial cuneiform and the second and third metatarsals along with the Lisfranc ligament is necessary to give transverse instability. The dorsal tarsometatarsal ligaments are weaker and therefore bony displacement with injury is often dorsal. The intermetatarsal ligaments exist between the second through fifth metatarsal bases. There is no direct ligamentous attachment between the first and second metatarsal. As far as biomechanics, the Lisfranc joint complex is inherently stable with little motion due to a stable osseous architecture. The second metatarsal fits in the mortise created by the medial cuneiform and the recessed middle cuneiform, which is known as a keystone configuration. It's helpful to think of the midfoot as columns. The medial column includes the first tarsometatarsal joint, the middle column includes second and third tarsometatarsal joints, and the lateral column includes fourth and fifth tarsometatarsal joints, which are the most mobile. As far as classification, there are multiple classification schemes described. However, none have been proven useful for determining treatment and prognosis. Patients will typically have severe pain and inability to bear weight with these injuries. On physical exam, inspection and palpation may show medial plantar bruising, swelling throughout the midfoot, and tenderness over the tarsometatarsal joint. As far as motion and stability, 
the instability test is done by grasping the metatarsal heads and applying dorsal force to the forefoot while the other hand palpates the TMT joints. Dorsal subluxation suggests instability, and if the first and second metatarsals can be displaced medially and laterally, global instability is present and surgery is required. When the plantar ligaments are intact, dorsal subluxation does not occur with stress exam and injury may be treated non-operatively. Provocative tests may reproduce pain with pronation and abduction of the forefoot. And remember to always check for compartment syndrome and take compartment pressures if there is a high suspicion. As far as imaging, recommended views on radiographs include AP, lateral, oblique, and stress views, which may be helpful to show instability when non-weight-bearing radiographs are normal and there is high suspicion. Weight-bearing with comparison view may be necessary to confirm the diagnosis. Five critical radiographic signs that indicate presence of midfoot instability include 1. Discontinuity of a line drawn from the medial base of the second metatarsal to the medial side of the middle cuneiform, which is seen on AP view and is diagnostic of Lisfranc injury. 2. Widening of the interval between the first and second ray, which is seen on the AP view, and you may see a bony fragment known as the flex sign in the first intermetatarsal space, which represents avulsion of the Lisfranc ligament from the base of the second metatarsal, and this is diagnostic of a Lisfranc injury. 3. Dorsal displacement of the proximal base of the first or second metatarsal, which is seen on lateral view. 4. Medial side of the base of the fourth metatarsal does not line up with the medial side of the cuboid, and this is seen on the oblique view. And finally, number 5. Disruption of the medial column line, which is a line tangential to the medial aspect of the navicular and the medial cuneiform, which is seen on oblique view. A CT scan may be useful for diagnosis and preoperative planning. MRI can be used to confirm the presence of a purely ligamentous injury. And as far as treatment, Non-operative management includes cast mobilization for 8 weeks, and the indications for this include no displacement on weight-bearing and stress radiographs, and no evidence of bony injury on CT. Other non-operative candidates may include non-ambulatory patients, presence of serious vascular disease, severe peripheral neuropathy, and instability in only the transverse plane. Operative treatments include open reduction and rigid internal fixation primary arthrodesis of the first, second, and third tarsometatarsal joints, and a midfoot arthrodesis, and we'll go into the indications for each of these options now. Open reduction and rigid internal fixation is indicated in cases of any evidence of instability and greater than 2 millimeters of shift, and this option is favored in bony fracture dislocations as opposed to purely ligamentous injuries, and as far as outcomes, anatomic reduction is required for a good result primary arthrodesis of the first, second, and third tarsometatarsal joints is indicated for purely ligamentous arch injuries, delayed treatment, and chronic deformity. As far as outcomes, level 1 evidence demonstrates equivalent functional outcomes and decreased rate of hardware removal or revision surgery compared to primary open reduction and internal fixation. So primary arthrodesis is an alternative to ORIF in patients with any evidence of instability with possible benefits. Medial column tarsometatarsal fusion has been shown to be superior to combined medial and lateral column tarsometatarsal arthrodesis. And finally, a midfoot arthrodesis is indicated when there is a destabilization of the midfoot's architecture with progressive arch collapse and forefoot abduction. 
as well as for chronic Lisfranc injuries that have led to advanced midfoot arthrosis and that have failed conservative therapy. Now let's briefly go over the techniques for each of these surgical options, but just some general surgical considerations first. The equipment includes fluoroscopy and a radiolucent table, small fragment and mini fragment sets with 2.0 to 4.0 millimeter screws, reduction clamps, K-wires, dental pick, Holman retractors, and a small battery-powered drill. As far as timing of surgery, it's only emergent with the presence of a compartment syndrome, open injuries, and or irreducible dislocations. Make sure to delay operative treatment until soft tissue swelling subsides, which can take up to two to three weeks sometimes. If it's grossly unstable and in the presence of significant soft tissue swelling, you can consider early external fixation. With respect to open reduction and rigid internal fixation, the approach is single or dual longitudinal incisions that can be used based on injury pattern and surgeon preference. A longitudinal incision is typically made in the web space between first and second rays. The first tarsometatarsal joint is exposed between the long and short hallux extensor tendons. And as far as reduction and fixation, reduce the intercuneiform instability first and then fix the first through the third TMT joints with transarticular screws. And remember that screw fixation is more stable than K-wire fixation. Postoperative care will typically involve early midfoot range of motion, protected weight bearing, and hardware removal with K-wires coming out in 6 to 8 weeks and screws in 3 to 6 months. Gradually advance to full weight bearing at 8 to 10 weeks. If the patient is asymptomatic and screws transfix only the first through the third TMT joints, they may be left in place. And typically this surgery precludes return to vigorous athletic activities for at least 9 to 12 months. Primary arthrodesis of the first, second, and third tarsometatarsal joints involves arthrodesis and fixation, which involves exposure of the TMT joints and then denuding all of the joint surfaces of cartilage. You would use cortical screws to fix the joints, and postoperative care would involve applying a cast or a splint for six weeks with progression of weight bearing between six and 12 weeks in a removable boot, and full weight bearing in standard shoes by 12 weeks post-op. A midfoot arthrodesis will also require arthrodesis and fixation. The approach is to expose the TMT joints and midfoot and remove cartilage from the first, second, and third TMT joints before adding bone graft and reducing the deformity using the windlass mechanism. And as far as postoperative care, the patient should be made touchdown weight bearing in a cast for six weeks and begin weight bearing at 10 weeks if there's evidence of healing on radiographs. As far as complications, Post-traumatic arthritis is the big one. It's the most common complication, and it may cause altered gait and long-term disability. Usually advanced midfoot arthrosis is treated with a midfoot arthrodesis. Non-union is uncommon, but when it does happen, revision surgery is indicated unless the patient is elderly and low demand. That's all for this review on Lisfranc injuries. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.